All right. Continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Tonight we're talking about the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important um, aspect of our faith. So Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 47. Only 14 verses tonight, so thank God I don't have 36 like some other people did. <laughs> but uh, Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 47, I'm just going to break the verses down as we go. Starting in verses, verses 33 and 34. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabakathani. I practiced that all week. Which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land. Darkness, um, this darkness was a supernatural act of God. Um, it was a symbol of the judgment on sin when this happened. It's an eschatological sign um, of the judgment of, of sin on the world. Um, so it didn't, the darkness was at noon. So it happened at an odd time. It was at noon darkness came over there. Now, you know, at noon time, it's never dark. So you know this was an act of God. And in the Old Testament in particular, darkness is a symbol of judgment. And we'll look at several verses that, 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 that talk about this. In the book of Exodus, chapter 10, starting at verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, and this is one of the plagues in the, in, the book of, in the book of Exodus that we are familiar with. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. I love that. Every time I read that, I'm like, that's deep. A darkness that can be felt. A darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. One person could not see another, and for three days they did not move from where they were. Yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. God made a distinction between the, the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Egyptians were in darkness as a sign of judgment on them, but the Israelites had light where they lived. Verse 24, Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship Yahweh. Even your families may go with you. Only your flocks and herds must stay behind. So the darkness here was a judgment upon the, the Egyptians for what they were doing for the, to the Israelites. But like I said, as you see, there was the distinction the, the land of Egypt was in darkness, but the Israelites had light where they lived. God always makes a distinction between his people and those who are not his people. God's love, he loves everybody, and there's common grace for everybody. But there are times when God will make a distinction between those who know, love, love and serve him and those who don't. Let's look at another verse. Amos chapter 8. This is uh, one of the minor prophets. And in that day... This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. There's that noon again. I will darken the land at the daytime. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. Again, judgment. In that day, the day of judgment, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime, and we see this at the crucifixion. Matthew chapter 24, a New Testament verse. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, there it is again, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the celestial powers will be shaken. 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Again, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. So this is also talking about judgment. So you see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that darkness is a sign of judgment on the land and on the people. He says, back to, let me go back a minute here. Verse 34, and at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Elo, Elo, Elama Shabakathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have, have you forsaken me? This is a quote from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a very prophetic uh, psalm, very prophetic psalm. There are several things that happened in Psalm 22 that were fulfilled in the New Testament, and this is one of them. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? This is Jesus. And Jesus, he feels the Father's abandonment on the cross. And when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels the Father's abandonment. As the Father's wrath is being poured out on him for the salvation of others. Namely, us in this room, as well as, as millions of other people. So, but Jesus feels this abandonment, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's aware also of God's deliverance. See, the psalm, it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? But at the same time, in verse 21, it says, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will praise you in the congregation. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or detested the torment of the afflicted. Jesus was being tormented and afflicted at this time. He has not despised or detested the torment of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried out for help. Jesus crying out, my God, my God, but God was listening to him. So Jesus, even though he, he, he made that statement, he also knew the end of this verse, of these chapters. He knew at the same time God was going to rescue him. So like I said, it's a very prophetic psalm. There are other verses in the, in the, in the psalms, in this psalm that we don't have time to get to. Um, but let's look at, at, at Hebrews chapter 5. During his earthly life, he, referring to Jesus, offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. You hear that? He made, uh, he, 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 he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and the tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at the end of the psalm, God heard him. And he was heard because of his reverence, his reverence for his father. Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Even though Jesus was God's son, he came and lived as a man, and he suffered. And the Bible says he learned obedience through his suffering. How many of us learn obedience when we suffer? Or even consider obedience through what we suffer? Suffering is, a, is an opportunity for you to obey God. Whatever suffering it may be, it's an opportunity for you to obey God. I, also, I heard somebody listening to a preacher today. He said, suffering is a spiritual discipline. I was like, whoa, what? 
suffering, he said, he named all these spiritual disciplines, Bible study, prayer, but he said, suffering is a spiritual discipline. We don't look at suffering as, I never looked at suffering as a spiritual discipline, but it can be if you suffer properly and biblically the right way. Verse 9, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him after he suffered. He became the source of salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's, all this came after the suffering, though. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After all of that, he became the source of salvation for all who obey him. So in our suffering, God wants to be, he can and will get glory out of our suffering. And God can use us in even more profound ways, I think, after we suffer. If we choose to go through suffering humbly, obediently, biblically, like Christ did. The Bible says he's our example in all things. So he's our example in his suffering as well. We need to learn to suffer like Christ, which brings about a greatest sanctification in our lives. And notice, when Jesus was on the cross, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, oh, Judas, oh, Judas, why did you betray me? He didn't say, oh, Peter, oh, Peter, why did you deny me? O Pilate, O Pilate, why are you condemning me? That's not what he said. In the midst of all that happened, he still knew who God was, who his father was. My God, my God, you are the only one who can save me. Not Judas. Judas, that was wrong for you. What you did to me, put it me. That was wrong, Judas. Peter, that was wrong for you to, to deny me. After all, you walked with me for three years, and you denied me three times. Peter, why? Pilate, you know you're wrong. You know, you know I'm innocent, Pilate. Why are you condemning me? None of that. My God, my God. And so when we're suffering, when we're going through, we have a, ought to have a vertical mindset and attitude in our suffering. Even when we're suffering unjustly like Jesus did. Because a lot of times the suffering can be unjust. Sometimes it can be stuff we brought on ourselves. But a lot of times when it's unjust and we don't deserve it like Jesus, we still need to suffer properly vertically and say, my God, my God. God, you see this suffering. You see me, Lord. But you are my deliverer. Only you. Jesus, he dies abandoned, alone, deserted by his followers. His disciples bailed on him, went fishing, deserted by his followers, condemned by Rome, rejected by his people, he came to his own, his own received him not, rejected by his people, and abandoned by God. This is Jesus on the cross. All of this is going on on the cross at the same time. He's, he's experiencing all of that, but he still cries out, my God, my God. And, and, and they said, uh, we'll come to this verse in a minute. Uh, I want to go, go back a second. Wait a minute, I think I want to... Okay, yeah, here it is. Okay, verse 35. Verse 35, I want to I point something out in a second. When some of those standing there... Let me, let me say this before I go here. A lot of times in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, there were... God showed up at the quote-unquote 11th hour, meaning at the last minute. God showed up to deliver people. We see it in, in the book of Exodus with, uh, with the Exodus when they were leaving Egypt, they were led out by Moses. They come to the Red Sea. So in the front of them is the Red Sea, 
and then behind them is Pharaoh's army. And so, and if you know the story, they're crying out to Moses, Moses, you brought us out here to die. What are we going to do now? We got the Red Sea behind us, in front of us. And, and, and God tells Moses, Moses, stretch out your hand, your staff, parts the Red Sea. The children go through. At the last minute, God showed up and said, parts the Red Sea. In the 11th hour, he shows up. We see it with Abraham when he's getting ready to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Abraham obeys God, lays Isaac on the altar, wraps him up, has the knife in hand, raised. The angel of the Lord, the Bible says, says, Abraham, Abraham, stay, stay your hand. Don't slay your son, for I know now that you really love me. The 11th hour, the last minute, right before he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, God shows up. A lot of times, God shows up at the last minute. But here, at the crucifixion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no 11th hour. God doesn't come at the last minute and save Jesus from the cross. He doesn't show up at the last minute and offer another sacrifice. Why? Because he is a sacrifice. So, let's go to verse verse, uh, 35. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. They thought he was calling for Elijah when he said, Eli, Eli. They thought he was talking about Elijah. They thought he was calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. So they were like, okay, he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes at the last minute and rescues him. He's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah shows up like he did in Exodus, like he did with Abraham. Let's see if he shows up at the last minute. He doesn't. He's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. The sour wine, excuse me, was ordinary drink of laborers and common soldiers, and it was used to alleviate pain. So they came to offer him sour wine to to alleviate the pain. And it was fixed on a reed, which was a... a hyssop branch. It was a branch, and they, and they put the sour wine on this, on this hyssop branch. And they filled the sponge with sour wine, fixed on a reed, and offered him a drink. And he said, and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Another verse says, after he, after he drinks the sour wine, he cries out. But Jesus let out with a loud cry and breathed his last. He, he, but Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And that loud cry is, it is finished. That was the loud cry that he cried out at the last minute. It is finished. Then, verse 38, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when they were building the the, the temple, the tabernacle, God gave them very specific instructions of what to do and what to build. And there was a curtain that was was made for, uh, in the temple, and it was between the holy place and the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go behind this curtain once a year to atone for the sins of the people. And this is what the curtain looked like. It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. It was humongous. And it was very thick. It was very thick. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 16, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of, of, of two of Aaron's sons when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the veil, that curtain in front. 
He said, tell Aaron he can't just come up in here when he wants to. He may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the veil in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die. If he did go, he died. Because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So that's what it's talking about. So Moses, um, I'm sorry, Aaron wasn't allowed to go beyond this only once a year. You could just go any old time. It was only once a year. Only the high priest could go. So here, verse 38, then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn. You see, it's, it's split from top to bottom. Man could not have done that. It wasn't from the bottom up. It was split from top to bottom. Like I said, it was 60 feet wide and 30 feet high and very thick. Man could not have done it. That had only had to be done by God. So what did that symbolize? It symbolized that now access to God was now available to all people, not just the high priest. We're going to look at that in a minute. Then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Let me, let's look at... Hebrews chapter 9. But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, that high priest again, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not like the Old Testament temple. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves. When the high priest went into the temple, he had to take the blood of goats and calves to, 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 for the forgiveness of sins for the people. But says Jesus, though, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Did you hear that? He went in behind the veil, this curtain, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood. That's significant. That's very significant. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, like the Old Testament temple we just read about, we just talked about. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one. It was only symbolic and a model of the true one, he's saying, but into heaven itself. Listen to that. Jesus went, he just didn't go into the temple and the Holy of Holies. He went into the very presence of God and offered himself. Did you hear what I just said? He offered himself into heaven. He went into, the Bible says he went into, the, into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Hallelujah. For us. He did not do this to offer himself many times. The priest had to go in once a year. They had to do it a whole bunch of times. Not, off, not to offer himself many times as the high priest entered the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. In other words, if he had to do it like the priest, he, he would have to die every year over and over again. Every year. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not an animal. He sacrificed himself, church. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this the judgment. So, so this sanctuary, this temple, this curtain that was torn when Jesus died opened up the opportunity for me to come into, now the Bible says I can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in the time of need. Boldly. 
when that curtain was torn, God was saying, okay, okay, Chris, come on in. You can come now. Okay, Gene, come on. Come on, Shalise. No more priests to, inter- to intercede for you. Come on. Come on, Tim. Come boldly to the throne. That word boldly means with glad confidence. <laughs> God said, come with glad confidence. Come boldly into my presence. I know you messed up, but guess what? Come boldly. With glad confidence. Why? Because the temple was torn. The crucifixion of Jesus made it possible for me to now come boldly to the throne of grace. That's good, (laughs) y'all. That is so good. That is so awesome. God is so awesome. He is so awesome. Romans chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, there it is, and by a new and living way, See, this is a new way. See, you used to have to come through the offering of animals and sacrifices. He said, but now through a new and living way, he has opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. See, there it is. Through the curtain. See, the curtain now is not a physical curtain. It's the body of Jesus Christ. And now I can come boldly because of the body, the crucified body of Christ. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. He says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. All of that because, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of his body being broken, which we celebrate every day here in communion. Because of his body being broken and his blood being shed. Now we can come boldly. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. All right. Verse 39. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, this man really was God's son. This centurion is a Roman official, and he was in charge of the crucifixion. That's what it, and, and, and centurion was in charge of, a, of about, I think, 100 people. But he was in charge of his crucifixion, and, and he was a Roman centurion mind you. And he was the first one to confess that Christ was God's son after the crucifixion. The first one. God used a a Gentile soldier to confess this man really was God's son. And why could he say that? See, this centurion, he's seen so many crucifixions in his life. That was a normal part of his day, was, was crucifixions. He saw many crucifixions, but he never saw one like this. What was the difference? Darkness at noon, earthquake, he said, I've, I've seen hundreds of crucifixions. It never got dark before. There was never an earthquake after a crucifixion. I've never seen anybody respond like this, cry out to God during a crucifixion. This is different than any crucifixion I've ever seen in my life. This man, he really was God's son. He really was righteous. A centurion, a Gentile pagan, the first one to confess, listen, y'all, this is God's son. I'm standing right next to him, and I'm seeing this. Ain't nothing like this ever happened before. When he saw how he breathed his last, he said, this man really was God's son. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of 
Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. So it says, women study from a distance. Uh, and it names who they were. Among them were Mary Magdalene. And, and, and the thing interesting about this is these women are demonstrating their love for Jesus in his most vulnerable hour, where his disciples, all these dudes, bailed on him. And there were women who stayed. <laughs> the women stayed, brothers. <laughs> it was the women who went out and cried, first of all, he is risen. It was the women who did that. The brothers was out fishing. Women have always been a vitally important part of Jesus' ministry. Always, from the door. And we're going to look at some of that. But Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says, soon afterwards, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. So Jesus had cast out seven demons of this woman named Mary Magdalene. No wonder she followed him. I'd follow him too. You cast out seven demons out of me? Oh yeah, I'm following you. Mary Magdalene was one of the women who followed Jesus. Mary, the mother of James the Younger, this is Mary who is the mother of, he was one of the, one of the disciples, one of the disciples' sons, James the Younger. This was his mother. And then there was, uh, uh, he, she was the, James the mother and younger of, uh, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph. And Salome, who was Salome? She was the mother of, the, of James and John, the sons of thunder, who were two of Jesus' disciples as well. So these were some of the women uh, who, 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 who uh, followed Jesus. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many other women had come up with him in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 23. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God. This is the same story, the same centurion saying, this man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, they called it a spectacle, <laughs> All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chest. And that was a sign of mourning. You know, people, when you strike your chest, it's a sign of mourning. Oh, what is going on? It's a sign of mourning and grief. And all these people were doing this. As they, were, as, the, as they walked away from the crucifixion, they went home, pounding their chest. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee. Remember back here, it says, it says from Galilee. They stood at a distance watching these things, these same women. These are the same women who stood at a distance. So it's talking about those same women uh, here in Luke chapter 23. So we see that these women were looking on from a distance, following Jesus, watching what would happen while the disciples had bailed on him. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, all these women, Jesus' ministry. And one of the things that was significant about Jesus in his ministry was he treated women equally as men. Women were not treated equally with men during this time. A woman, in, 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 in a courtroom, a woman's testimony, um, um, you had to have four women testify with one man. One man's testimony was equal to four women's. They didn't take women's uh, testimony seriously. That's why in the, in, during the resurrection, the women being the first ones to, 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 to say he is risen, is very significant. That's an apologetic because they would never record that in Scripture because that's an embarrassment. 
because the women's testimony was not taken seriously above men. The men weren't the ones who cried out. It was the women. And so they recorded that. If they wanted to make the story up, they would have never put that in there. They would have said, and all 12 of his disciples came and declared that he was... No. The disciples were fishing. The women came and said, he is risen. And the Bible says, and they didn't believe him. Because a woman's, a woman's testimony wasn't worth anything. So that's the, that, that proves the truth of Scripture. It proves the truth of Scripture. They would never put that in there if they were lying about what happened. That's a little something extra. All right. Verse 42. When it was already evening, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he brought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was placed. When it was already evening, because it was a preparation day. The preparation day was the day before the Sabbath. It was a Friday. It was the day before the Sabbath, and it was, um, they were always prepared for the Passover. The day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the, Sanhedr of the Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of, of the Jews. He was part of the Supreme Court. And he opposed the verdict of the crucifixion, interestingly enough. Joseph of Arimathea did not agree with them crucifying Jesus, which goes to show that they were not, all, all of the Sanhedrin were not in agreement with, with what, what happened to him. Because here's one guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who did not agree with what they did. And he came, the Bible says, and he asked for uh, the body of Jesus. And formally, it says in another, another verse that, that, that Joseph was a secret disciple. And so he was, you know, a lot of times people were afraid to follow Jesus because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the consequences. And, and, and in one scripture in John, it says, if, if, if you were uh, a follower of Jesus, they would put you out. Like the blind man, they put him out. And that's why his parents didn't want to, uh, <laughs> didn't want, want, want to say how their son his blind side was healed because the Bible says they feared man more than they feared God. And a lot of people did that. They feared the, the, the Jews and the Sanhedrin more than they feared God. And so Joseph Arimathea at time was a secret disciple, but here he comes out boldly as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he opposed what they did to Jesus. And he was a part of the, so he's a very prominent member. He wasn't, he was a prominent member. He's a part of the Supreme Court, remember? You know, so that was a very high position in, the, in that day. And he, who himself was looking forward to the kingdom of God, so he was even looking forward to the kingdom of God. And it says he boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He was a secret disciple before, but now it says he went in boldly and said, okay, Pilate, I want, I want his body. Boldly, I want his body. I want his body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead because he hadn't been dead long. See, normally it took a, a, a while for, 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 the, for people who were crucified uh, uh, to die. But as you remember, uh, they went to Jesus with a spear and, put, and, and, and pierced his side. And the Bible says water and blood came rushing out. And that, that sped up his death, I believe. 
you know, because they didn't normally die that quick. And that's why Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. And then summoning the centurion, that centurion guy, he asked whether he was already, had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to, to Joseph. He said, okay, he's dead. All right, give the corpse, give the corpse to Joseph. After he brought some fine linen, what was this fine linen they're talking about? Uh, first of all, before I do that, before I talk about the fine linen, I'm going to go back to the body thing for a minute. Um, there was a reason Pilate asked for his body when he did. See, when somebody died in, in the book of Deuteronomy, if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree, Jesus' body was hung on a tree, on the cross on a tree. You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. See, they had to bury them before sundown. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the Lord your God. You must not defile the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so Joseph knew that. So he said, let me take the body down before, before sundown. And so that's why he did that, because um, that the body had to be taken down before sundown. And he was trying to obey the law. He was trying to obey the law. And so that's what he did. That's why he asked when he did. Um, after he bought some fine linen, which was, the fine linen was, Jews didn't, embalm, they didn't do embalming. And so, and so they wrapped uh, the corpses in perfume burial clothes. And that's what it was. That's what the fine linen was. They were perfume burial clothes. And so they wrapped Jesus in that. And if you see pictures, um, a lot of times the pictures you'll see, you'll see him wrapped. Um, and that's how Lazarus was wrapped as well. When, he was, when, when Lazarus was dead, um, and that's why Jesus said, loose him and let him go. In other words, he was saying, unwrap him. After he was resurrected, unwrap him and let him go. He was, he was wrapped like, like, like a mummy. That's how they did, and that's how Jesus was as well. And that, but it, they were called fine linen, and they were perfumed burial clothes. After he brought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. In the, in the New Testament, this is what the tomb looked like. They didn't have burials like we do, graves like we do. This is what it looked like. So they, they wrapped him up, put him in this tomb, and rolled a stone, that big stone right here. They rolled this against the tomb. That's what they did. And so if you remember, uh, when the women went to the, went to the tomb, they asked, who's going to roll the stone away for us? That's, what, that's why they said that. That's why they were asking, because that stone, was very, you see how big that is? Women could not remove that. And so they were saying, well, who's going to remove the stone? When we go, how, how, who's going to remove the stone? And we know the stone was removed, was removed by the angels. But that's what, it, what the tomb looked like. Uh, they placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus were watching as he was placed there. And like I said, there's a tomb again. So, as I close, all of this, this death and this burial, and we'll get into the resurrection next week, but all of this took place so that you and I could be here today. All of this took place, and because of that, because of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God hearing his cry, and we'll see next week raising him from the dead, because the, 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 the curtain was torn from top to bottom, because now we can come boldly to the throne of God. All, Jesus did all of that so that you and I could sit here today and celebrate, as we get ready to celebrate communion, celebrate his death, his burial, 
We're going to stop at the burial today. It's Friday. But next week, Sunday's coming. We're stopping today at the burial. We're Friday, Saturday. When you think about it, you know, when you think about all of this, we talk a lot about Friday. But you wonder what, was, what they were thinking on Saturday. The disciples were thinking, they knew Friday he was crucified. And Saturday, you know, nothing's going on. He's already dead. You know, in the, in the book of Luke chapter 24, we hear about the road to Emmaus and, and, and the, discu- the discussion they had about what was, what was going on. And Jesus shows up and, and breaks down the scriptures to them and all of that. And I don't know if that might have been Saturday. I don't know. But it's interesting to think, because you, you think about the, the person you thought was going to save Israel, as it was said. And, he's, and you see him crucified. You see him on the cross. You see him crucified. You see how beat up he is. You see how he looks. You see them take him down and bury him. And take him and put him in that tomb. And you walk away and you're beating your chest. You don't know. And it's Saturday. Friday night comes and then Saturday comes and there's nothing. You hear nothing from God. No prophet speaking. Nobody's saying anything. It's Saturday. Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock, nothing. Saturday night, nothing. What are you thinking? There's hopelessness. We were hoping, one of the disciples said on the road to Emmaus, that he would be the answer. We was hoping he was going to be the one. Not knowing the one (laughs) who was crucified is walking with them, standing next to them, carrying on a conversation, breaking open the Old Testament to them. And they're in mourning, sad, until communion. And they sit down, and the Bible says, when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And then Jesus disappears. (laughs) But Saturday has got to be the most sad, miserable day for them. But next week, we're going to hear about Sunday. But today, as we celebrate communion... And celebrate part of what we just read about, the death. Because there had to be a death. Jesus had to come. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die in my place. He had to die in your place. He had to to get on the cross and cry. He had to do that. But that's not the end of the story. And because we know that, because we've read the end of the book, we know that we can take communion now. See, that's not Friday for us. It's not Saturday for us. This is Monday morning. <laughs> this is Monday for us. But let us, we don't have to wait till next week to celebrate. We know the story. But right now, as we celebrate communion, we're going we're to celebrate what Jesus did here. The tearing of the curtain we're celebrating We're celebrating that curtain being torn and being able to have access. The Bible says, therefore, we now have access into this grace in which we now stand. The curtain being torn gave us access to the throne of God. The Bible says Jesus went into the very presence of God himself and said, Father, prepare me a body. I'm dying for these people, God. The high priest couldn't do that. The high priest could only go in once a year, and he had to go in right. Jesus went in, into heaven itself, Hebrews says, into the presence of God, and offered himself 
on your and my behalf. And that's what we're celebrating today. We're going to sing this song. And I'm... <laughs>